The peace of Christ be with you. As we settle into this place, I invite you to take about three deep breaths that you might become more fully aware of the Spirit's presence and that you might allow yourself to be held by this house of prayer. Friends, let us worship in beloved community. Please rise in the spirit of the call to worship. Not sure if that was me or you. (laughs) You are the maker of all that is. Your creativity and abundance know no bounds. You supply our creation with what it needs to endure. Your wisdom remains ever in view. Let us seek truth. Let us support the good. We invite you to join us in hymn number 450. We're going to put a little contemporary spin on a traditional hymn. So the melody may not exactly match what's in your hymnal. But we do invite you to sing with us, sing with joy.
special welcome to you. It is good to be here together. I hope that after worship, you'll join us out in the patio area for some snacks and some coffee, and most importantly, a chance to get to know each other just a little better. So let's join together now in our community prayer. It's printed in our bulletin. Let us pray. God, we know you. Our prayers continue in quiet. Amen. Friends, know that God is always at work in us and at work with us. God sees us and is filled with compassion. God forgives us. God rejoices over each one of us. Thanks be to God. Amen. Now I'd like to invite any of the children worshiping with us to come join me here at the front. Good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Come on up. I'm going to move over here. Hello. Yes. Okay. Okay. It's good to see all of you today. This, I feel like I say this a lot, but this is one of my favorite days because this is when we get to celebrate some of our third graders. I think we have two third graders here with us today. And we get to celebrate because they are going to get their very own Bible today. And this is important because this is something that we use kind of a lot here at the church. Every Sunday when you guys go to Sunday school, you hear a story that comes from here, that comes from the Bible. And so now that you've hit third grade, now that you've you know, probably been reading for a year or two or more, um, We want to give you your very own Bible so you can read the stories and enjoy the stories, not just when you're here at church in Sunday school, though that's important, but you can read them and enjoy them anytime. You know, maybe you might read one with a family member at home, or maybe you might read one on your own. But I do encourage you when you get this today, um, I encourage you, don't just take it home and put it on your bookshelf and let it kind of collect dust. I mean, that is one option. Um, But I really encourage you to put it somewhere where you might pick it up, you might look at it. And this Bible I especially like, it's called the Adventure Bible, because not only does it have all the really great Bible stories in there, but it has some other stuff too. You know, it has some pictures and some drawings. I know, isn't that cool? Whoa. Um, And it tells you a little bit more sometimes about what's happening in a particular story. 
it has, oh, look, it has the Lord's Prayer written here, all nice and big with a nice picture. Um, so it really is something that you can, you know, dig into and, and take a look at. So I want to invite you two third graders to come up here so everyone can see you. Right, stand right up there. There we go. And so this one, this one says it's for Nicholas. So here you go, Nicholas. All right. And this one, I believe, it says it's for Laura. So here you go, Laura. And just know that we, we as a church give these to you with our love and our hope that you will love the stories as much as we do. All right. And with that, I invite you all to head out to Sunday school. Go now in peace. Go now in peace. May the This time I invite David Elliott forward to give a moment for stewardship. Thank you. Uh, well, this is much better. Uh, in the 830 service, I followed Rob, and I said that was a little bit like putting the opening act after the premiere show, and it, was, it just didn't seem right. So following the kids seems much better. <laughs> <laughs> My name's David Elliott. Uh, our family has been members at WPC for 20-plus uh, years now. Our kids were confirmed here. Uh, many of you may know my wife, Erin, who teaches yoga here. Uh, and I started something called the Legacy Fund, which is our endowment, and it complements uh, the annual fund, uh, the stewardship campaign, which is really what we're talking about here today. I think it's hard, uh, at least for me, to hone in on one specific way that WPC has impacted my life or impacted our family's life. Um, so I have a quick story that I hope underscores why we hold dear uh, our WPC community and experience and why it's important, I think, for all of us to consider how we support WPC financially. Earlier this summer, my 25-year-old daughter Lizzie and I uh, went back east to visit my 92-year-old mother in Connecticut. She lives in the same town where I grew up. And uh, we went out for dinner over the stay, and we went to a, a new restaurant, uh, a restaurant in town that's housed in this beautiful old building that sits across the street from the congregational church uh, that I was raised in when I was a kid. Uh, and in fact, this old building was owned by the church then, uh, and we called it the parish house, and that's where I went to Sunday school for probably seven or eight years. So it's a beautiful old structure, and it did bring back memories as we drove up sort of the hill into this arched building, colonnades, and really, really pretty... Uh, and I said to sort of no one in particular, boy, this really brings back memories, both good and bad, about my Sunday school experience. <laughs> and my mother, uh, I don't know, somewhat snidely, sort of said, well, it didn't really seem to stick with you. <laughs> <laughs> Curious. Drawing on my WPC experience, I tried to channel empathy rather than judgment. <laughs> and so I let her comment pass, at least for a few minutes. We got in and we sat down and ordered, and I couldn't help myself. <clears throat> so I said, Mom, I find your comment somewhat curious, because I think, as you know, you know we, we are a regular 
church attendees, and we've been members of a church in Marin for a long time, and, you know, I have a somewhat windy but fairly consistent faith journey, and she took a big pull over Chardonnay and sort of relented, uh, and that was that, at least for, at least for the conversation. What, what I think was more interesting that, that progressed over dinner was the conversation between my daughter and her grandmother about religion. And you can sort of sense how the boundaries would sort of define in this kind of conversation, right? My 92-year-old mother um, takes the case for very organized, structured religion. And my daughter, uh, who's quite articulate, weaves a very thoughtful um, sort of, <clears throat> yeah, just thoughtful argument, I guess, around a more flexible, open-minded approach to, to her faith journey and religion in general. Uh, and in fact, I said earlier, she, she is involved in an entity called Thrive, which I guess is a congregation in the East Bay uh, in Berkeley, and Thrive defines itself this way. We are a new kind of community offering a relevant space for diverse people seeking meaning and connection in our rapidly changing world, which frankly doesn't sound all that different from what we do here. But anyway, the takeaway was that Lizzie, in a very efficient but I think also loving way, uh, convinced her grandmother that that her faith journey, Lizzie's faith journey, was really different, but it was working for her. So we left, the, we left dinner generally all happy and in a, in a compatible space on, on, uh, on the religious topic. Now, having worked in the investment business for all my career, for 37 some odd years, Aaron would sort of grudgingly report that I am prone to assessing things through this lens of return on investment. Um, and I'm getting to the point here, I'm getting to the, the, the ask, if you will. Uh, <laughs> sitting at that table and listening to my daughter really convince my sort of somewhat curmudgeonly 92-year-old mom, uh, it, it struck me that we had achieved a very high return on our investment in giving annually to support the efforts and the salaries and all that goes into running the, all that we enjoy at WPC. So the ask today is a reminder the WPC helps to produce some of the highest returns on investment that we can make for our own and I think for our family's well-being. And of course it requires a concrete financial contribution from all of us according to our means. So to show that our elected leadership is on board with the campaign, I invite elders and deacons present today to come forward with your pledge. They all recognize that their faithful service includes financial support to the church. I invite you to come forward now. We do give thanks that our leaders lead not only with their creativity and with their time, their energy, but also, also with their resources according to their means. Let us give thanks in prayer for this generosity. Gracious one, you who have made all creatures great and small, we give thanks for and acknowledge all gifts great and small, for what is small for one is great for another. So for all the generosity already pledged and all the generosity that is to come, we honor 
you and give thanks and pray only that we might be faithful stewards of what you've blessed us with so richly. In Christ's name, who gave himself for all of us. Amen. Oh, I have to follow David. That's the other side of it. Not an enviable position. One of the ways that we become a community is we share what's going on in our lives and the lives of our shared world. So if you have something you want to lift up, a joy or a concern, something you might like prayer for, just raise your hand and speak out when called on. Yeah, please, Chris. Oh. For a young friend and acquaintance who uh, is starting out on a new life, but maybe facing a, a new cancer diagnosis, and so we lift that up to the light in prayer. Others, yeah. Amen. Terrific. Amen. You're here. So, if you, if you couldn't hear, uh, Jim and three others uh, rode for the Presbytery's annual pedal for protein. He said that was something light. I'm not so sure. Um, because they raise uh, lots of money, tens of thousands of dollars, which provides protein-rich foods for those who don't have enough to eat. So that's wonderful. We're proud of you and grateful. Others? I got a call from Joe Bryson uh, over the weekend, um, who's been away for some time, you may have noticed. So she's been struggling with some health issues and is facing a hip replacement this week, which is good news because they've figured out the source of her pain. So, but she asked for your prayers. Peter, before you talk, can I talk for you? So, so Peter, I mean, God love you. Not only is he at church looking spiffy, but a few minutes ago, he was finishing the half marathon over there. So we, yeah. So we celebrate you and your achievement and all the volunteers from the church who passed out water. And do you want to share the next piece? I won't step Terrific. And, and what else is today, Peter? So. so, happy anniversary, Peter and Evelyn. Sherry. Let me re- do that one before. Yeah. Um, so, yeah, a friend of Liam, our son's, uh, one, of her, one of his mothers, has just um, has got a lump. Uh, is it in her lung or in her breast? Lung. Lung. 
lung, and so they find out soon whether that's cancer or not. Imagine how scary that is for a young child who may not even know. So you may have been following it. Sherry's mom, several months ago, was burned very badly and spent a couple of months in the hospital, and she's been on the West Coast since she got out, living with uh, Sherry's brother and with us, and she's going to go back this week to try to live independently, which is a big step. Um, So appreciate your prayers in that. Yeah, Lynn. Thank you. So, uh, Lynn, our seminarian, shares an unexpected death in the family and also lifts up the coming apart of her daughter's marriage. And I appreciate you having the courage to share that. Those things should be mentioned in church. It's part of our lives. Yeah, uh, yeah, Christina. Oh. Oh. For a 17-year-old Mackenzie who broke a foot and will be sidelined from horseback riding, which should remind us of Valerie von Berg, too, who uh, broke a number of bones after a fall. Let us come together in prayer, then. All good prayers, O God, are an offering to you, whether they're prayers of gratitude, prayers of sorrow, prayers of anxiety of questioning, even of rage. When given as prayer, they are holy. So receive those prayers that have been spoken and those too tender to be spoken. Receive them and send them back to us in the form of blessing, encouragement, strength, righteous vulnerability, and grace. We pray these things in the name of Jesus who taught us to pray, saying, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread and forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever. Amen. Ten thousand arrows take flight 
scripture reading is Psalm 91 verses 1 to 16. Listen for what the Spirit has to say. You live in the shelter of the Most High, who abide in the shadow of the Almighty, will say to the Lord, my refuge and my fortress, my God in whom I trust, for the Lord will deliver you from the snare of the fowler and from the deadly pestilence will cover you with his pinions and under her wings you will find refuge the Lord's faithfulness is the shield and the buckler you will not fear the terror of the night or the arrow that flies by day for the pestilence that stalks in the darkness or the destruction that wastes at noonday A thousand may fall at your side, ten thousands at your right hand, but it will not come near you. You will only look with your eyes and see the punishment of the wicked. Because you have made the Lord your refuge, the Most High your dwelling place, no evil shall befall you. No scourge come near your tent. For she will command her angels concerning you to guard you in all your ways. On their hands they will bear you up so that you will not dash your foot against a stone. You will tread on the lion of the adder and the adder, the young lion and the serpent will trample underfoot. Those who love me, I will deliver. I will protect those who know my name. When they call to me, I will answer them. I will be with them in trouble. I will rescue them and honor them. 
with long life, I will satisfy them and show them my salvation. This is the holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. The second reading comes from the book of Timothy. 1 Timothy, chapter 6, verses 6 to 19. Continue to listen for what the Spirit is saying to us this morning. Of course, there is great gain in godliness combined with contentment. For we brought nothing into the world so that we can take nothing out of it. But if we have food and clothing, we will be content with these. But those who want to be rich fall into temptation and are trapped by many senseless and harmful desires that plunge people into ruin and destruction. The love of money is a root of all kinds of evil. And in their eagerness to be rich, some have wandered away from the faith and pierced themselves with many pains. But as for you, man of God, women are off the hook, shun all this. Pursue righteousness, godliness, faith, love, endurance, gentleness. Fight the good fight of the faith. Take hold of the eternal life to which you were called and for which you made the good confession in the presence of many witnesses. In the presence of God who gives life to all things and of Christ Jesus, who in his testimony before Pontius Pilate made the good confession. I charge you to keep the commandment without spot or blame until the manifestation of our Lord Christ Jesus, which he will bring about at the right time. The one who is blessed and only sovereign, the King of kings and Lord of lords, it is this one alone who has immortality and dwells in unapproachable light, whom no one has ever seen or can see, to this one be honor and eternal dominion. Amen. As for those who in the present age are rich, command them not to be haughty or to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches, but rather on God who richly provides us with everything for our enjoyment. They are to do good, to be rich in good works, generous and ready to share, thus storing up for themselves the treasure of a good foundation for the future so that they may take hold of the life that really is life. Friends, this too is holy wisdom, holy word. Thanks be to God. If they say a picture is worth a thousand words, I have then a couple thousand words to share with you. Here's the first batch. I don't know if you can see that from where you're sitting. That it's... Uh, in Barcelona, and you see the buildings and then tree-lined street, and into eternity you see crowds of people. I don't know if you know what that's from. That's from one of the recent climate strikes. 100,000 people in that march. Here's another one. I don't know where that's from. Same cause. But you can see the massive size of the crowds. 
And now I'll show you the, the most astonishing one of all. You ready? It's that one. That's the first one. Or one of the first ones. With a little girl, little in stature, only 15 years old, Greta Thunberg, a handmade sign, curled in on herself, sitting in front of Parliament. The length of time between this picture and these pictures is 13 months. Tens of thousands of people in some cities, hundreds of thousands in another. It was the largest gathering in Australia ever. And it started right there. Now, if you saw Thunberg's address to the United Nations, you might, and you've been following her, you might have detected a sharper tone than she has carried in the past. She's always been direct and unwavering in her commitment to scientific truth. She actually credits some of her ability to be direct and unloaded often to her Asperger's, which aids her in fielding the kind of toxicity that comes at her. But she had a sharpness to her this time as she spoke to the adults to hold them accountable, saying we can't simply go on business as usual. And she says all you do is talk about money and fairy tales of eternal economic growth and it can't go on like this. Her refrain becoming, as you've no doubt by now heard, how dare you? She's become an emblem for young people and the angst they carry. We have young people here who say, I'm not sure it's worth having children. It's the reality they live in. Thunberg could have been preaching straight out of 1 Timothy, who also lifts up the folly of misguided economic pursuits, senseless desires, that plunge people into ruin and destruction. Sharp words from Timothy. Those could have been Thunberg's words. Now, if you think that you're about to get lambasted for your wealth, you can exhale. That's not what we do here. I hope you know that by now. I know you. I recognize the goodness that is you and that is in you. That's why you're here. No matter how much or how little you have, part of the reason you come here is because you aspire to be, uh, to be good, to be about something better and bigger. And so I know. And you can rest easy. Scripture gives us a challenging word from time to time. And we don't run from it, but what we can recognize is in that challenge is an invitation for growth, not for punishment. So you can rest easy and open your heart and let us open our collective heart so that we can receive that invitation for growth because that's always what's in the word at the core is a seed, an invitation for growth. So let's listen to the words with that kind of openness. First Timothy says things you may not have known were in Scripture. You didn't come into the world with anything and you can't take anything with you. Who knew that was in the Bible? 
And this one, no doubt, you've heard even if you know nothing of the Bible. The love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. I'm sure you've probably heard that before. Christians, I think, make two primary mistakes in ref- uh, with respect to that passage. The first is we, we fixate on, on the love. Well, oh, I don't love money. I orient my whole life around it. It drives every decision I make. It occupies all my waking hours, and I stay up longer than I should so I can earn more, and I'm pretty obsessed with it, but I don't love it. You do if that's what drives you. And the second mistake actually uh, amends the first, and that is to chalk all of it up to personal moral failings. Well, they must just have their priorities out of whack, or I must have mine, and I'm, I'm just not good enough to have better values. Because it misses that we live in a much larger world, a much bigger system. And that system kind of drives us to make certain kinds of decisions. And it makes it really difficult as an individual to go against the stream and make other decisions. It's like being in this whole ocean of norms and expectations and rules and obligations. And it's very hard, uh, not just sort of uh, in terms of courage, but in terms of ability to stand up against that and go in a different direction, to swim upstream. To draw on the famous commencement address of a number of years ago by David Foster Wallace, sometimes the fish has to wake up and say, oh, this is water. (laughs) But before you can stand up and turn the tide, you have to recognize that you're being swayed by one, pushed by forces all around you. So this is far more complex than just personal responsibility, as important as that is. Now, I should say something at this point. I did not pick this scripture passage for the Sunday that I'm supposed to preach on stewardship, the annual fundraising drive for the church. Uh, An unlucky, perhaps, coincidence. This is a lectionary scripture passage, which means it was laid out by people who had no uh, sense of when certain congregations would do their fall fundraising pitch. Okay? Honest. In fact, one of my... Uh, professional pet peeves is when churches nitpick and, and, and find some scripture passage that guilts people about money and about having too much and then conveniently from the pulpit says, by the way, it's Pledge Sunday. We'll take that off of your hands. It's theological malpractice. And you should be insulted by it if you ever hear that. Now, I want you to respond to the stewardship call to support this church financially, unapologetically, but not out of guilt, not out of fear, but out of love for the values that we stand for in the church of Jesus Christ. Because we, like no other institution in the world, lift up the reality that we see the fullness of what we would call a godly life in this curious figure called Jesus. Jesus who restores the outcast to good standing in the community, who offers care to those in need, who stands with the least of these and the pushed aside, who demonstrates the, uh, that servant power, that soul power is stronger and more righteous than coercive power, who demonstrates the 
transformative power of forgiveness, not the same thing as permissiveness, but forgiveness for the way it can completely change the equation in human relationship. In the church, we recognize best we can in imperfect ways that we have already been reconciled with one another and with all things from which we thought we were estranged and we dare to live into that and defy those who are still committed to pitting the weak against the weak so that they can stay strong. We say, no, we've got a different story to tell. There are lots of good causes out there and I'm grateful that you support them professional fundraiser told me that the zip codes in which you live are the most sought-after zip codes in the United States for fundraisers. They know where the money is. And you get hit up constantly, time and time again. And thanks be to God, you rise to the occasion a lot. And pick your cause. There are glorious causes out there. You might be saving whales. You might be saving monarchs. You might be housing refugees. You might be feeding the hungry. You might be putting people in homes who have none. You might be funding libraries, art uh, institutions, educational programs. On and on. Advocacy causes. Pick your favorite one. We just survived one of the toughest seasons in our nation's life. The fall NPR drive. I mean, I will give just to make them stop. (laughs) All the things you do are good and they're godly, whether they use those words or not. But no one else lifts up the life and teachings of Christ as important. And if we don't, no one else will. No one. Stewardship's about money. Let's not kid one another and let's not insult one another's intelligence. But it's not just about money. Money is what lies beneath and what supports from beneath all those values that you care about, all those programs that manifest those values in real human lives. When I spoke to the elders at the end of the session meeting the other night, uh, I, I shared with them a list that I'd put together of what I think stewardship is really about beneath the money, or rather the money is beneath it. And so I'll share some of them with you now. Stewardship is really about teaching young children about the love of God, the unwavering, unshakable love of God. And it's about exploring alongside the less young youth what that love looks like when played out in an ever more complicated world. Stewardship is about providing a space where people who come carrying all manner of burdens, all manner of hopes, all manner of fears, all manner of new diagnoses can open their heart in worship, even if they're not sure about what they're worshiping. Sitting next to caring people. Stewardship is about singing songs and hearing songs that have different lyrics than the kind you hear piped through the shopping malls and through your car stereo. It's about connecting with others, to learn, to support one another, to grow in faith without being told what your growth has to look like. It's about working together on meaningful projects and advocating for meaningful things in the wider community. It's about visiting the sick, the quiet prayer that's offered at the bedside in a hospital or a retirement community, sometimes by people who are paid to be here and oftentimes by people who come on their own. Stewardship 
is about making room for tears to be shed in a pastor's office or a youth director's office or someone's home. It's about standing and resisting the tide of cynicism and disenchantment that has just wrecked our public discourse and done immeasurable damage. It's about standing with the least of these and standing with those who have a lot but are trying desperately to live lives of integrity in their workplaces and in their home and in their day-to-day activities. It's about the man or woman that you will never, ever meet who comes here every Monday or every Wednesday to try to get one more day without taking a drink. And it's about the person that you've come to know all too well in a program who shares the same faith in some form or another with you. That may be the greatest miracle of all. This may be the least churched county in the country. And look, you found one another. What a gift. We found one another. Stewardship's not just about another budget. It's about being a part of and supporting a movement that places God's redeeming grace as primary among every other value and value system. That's what we're here to do, and we're uniquely here to do. It's really about learning to see differently than we're taught to see by so many teachers in the world, formal and informal. And that's what Jesus was about, and that's what Timothy was about. I read scripture through the lens of compassion because I believe that Jesus is compassion embodied. And so what can look like a sharp word, if you work with it through that lens, becomes actually an incredibly compassionate word. When Jesus says, no one can get, uh, it's easier for a camel to go through the eye of the needle than it is for a rich one to get into the kingdom of heaven. He's not saying that to wag his finger at you. He's saying that because he knows it's that hard. Because he knows that with wealth comes expectation and obligation and the stroking of the ego and the allure for more and all the responsibilities and the cravings that wrap you up when you have that kind of wealth. In Timothy, when he talks about the traps of evil that come with wealth, he's recognizing how hard it can be to stay on the path and to live in to what's most important because all these other things threaten to pull you off course. Jesus says what he says. Timothy says what he says. Not because they hate or judge those who have wealth, but because they love them, desperately love them, and they want to help them and accompany them, get to a better place and they want to liberate them from the temptation to spend all their time and their energy going after more and more and more which doesn't truly serve them and certainly doesn't serve their neighbor and isn't altogether sustainable anymore and corrupts the inside as well. Won't protect them ultimately, won't provide for them and surely won't save them. The psalm you heard earlier, Psalm 91, makes it clear who does the protecting and the providing and the saving, and it's God. For all those who love God, God will protect them. I don't know. I mean, I believe that. I'm supposed to believe that. I've seen too many people who love God suffer too much. 
and not be protected enough and seemingly be abandoned. And I surrender that up to mystery. But what I do know is that when we can learn to see differently, then we become the instruments of God's protection for those who can't protect themselves. And we become the instruments of providing for those in need. And we become the instruments, dare I say, of salvation. That I know. And it happens when we learn to see differently. To see things as Christ sees them. Or maybe better put, to see Christ in all things. To recognize it and to capture it and to lift it up that it might be reflected for the world to see. Do you know what's most amazing to me about this picture? Someone took it. Someone was there before there was here. And something about them was tuned appropriately. And they said, this is good. And maybe they even said, God is doing something here. But whatever language system they use, they recognize that what we would call the spirit of the living God is breaking into the world all the time if we would but notice it and lift it up. Notice and point to the life that is really life so that it could be made possible for all. That's what we're here to practice doing. That's what we're here to train to do. And if you think that's worthwhile, then I do hope you support this. Amen. First verse together.
seated. As always, I invite you to take a look at the announcements in the bulletin that you may know what's happening here in the life of this church. Immediately following worship, we have a guest speaker, psychotherapist Laura Schwartz, uh, is going to be with us as we talk about the children in our lives and how we help them build a character that reflects our own family's values, not just for parents, for grandparents, for aunts, for uncles, for any of you who have your children in the life of your family. Um, we have Spanish classes coming up. They're starting very soon. Carol, I know they're happening at two times, right? Tell me when. Oh, make me thine indeed, thou 